faith is not smooth sailing. But thank the Lord, he is our guide. Psalm 1611 says, You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Join me today as I dive deep into the Word of God. Good morning, my fellow graced saints. I'm your podcast host, Rebecca Bryce, and I thank you so much for giving me your time today to listen to Graced for this. I'm so excited to be able to have an opportunity to record another episode, and I pray that you are blessed by what you hear. So I will pray, dear Lord, I thank you that you have so graciously walked beside me and have pointed me into the direction that you want me to go in the teaching in today's episode. And I thank you for everyone that's listening because I know that it is for a reason that they are and it is your purpose that will play out. Lord, I pray that you will be pleased by the words of my mouth, that you will be pleased by the meditations of our hearts, Lord, and that we will go forward after we are done here pleasing you with our actions. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. Well, it is turning out to be a beautiful day. I've been up for quite a while. I just wanted to make sure I had some of my studying in line um, before I started talking to you all. Um, And for some reason, this message is... um, It just seems to be a little bit scarier for me to put out there, and I'm not sure why. Um, I had a dream a couple nights ago, and in the dream, I'm teaching. um, Well, I was asked to teach uh, the material that I'm teaching now, about to teach. And um, it was just, there was so much strife trying to get up to the podium. Um, I was trying to find the... Uh, references in the Bible. The only Bibles I could find were picture Bibles. And I was like, that is not what I want. Um, And then when I finally got up to the podium, I couldn't speak about the topic that I wanted to speak about. I tried, it didn't work, and I was just left giving this really simple lesson. And so I woke up And I was like, how did the lesson that I ended up giving even relate to the original message? And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that later. But first, the original message that I want to talk about is being shipwrecked in regards to our faith. So journey with me, if you will. You can follow along, but I'm reading from Acts chapter 27. And a little backstory, I read through Acts um, last year, and I I did it again this year. And when I get to the end, when I listen to Paul's experience being arrested, um, being tried as a Roman citizen, all that he has to go through, for some reason I'm just fascinated by this journey that he makes at the end. And I've always thought how significant it must have been for him to go through 
the shipwreck that he goes through. And, and so let's just listen how intense it is for him. So starting at 27 verse 1. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship from Adrianthium, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia. And we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. The next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so they might provide for his needs. From there we put out to sea again, and passed to the Lee of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. When we had sailed across the open sea off the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Snidus. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the Lee of Crete, opposite Salmon. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens, near the town of Lacia. Much time had been lost, and sailing had already become dangerous, because by now it was after the Day of Atonement. So Paul warned them, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo, and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor in Crete facing both southwest and northwest. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster, swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Kata, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Citrus. They lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage. 
because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. On the fourteenth night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea, when about midnight the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was a hundred and twenty feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was ninety feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboats down in the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last fourteen days, he said, You have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread, gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the load by throwing the grain into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners, to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached the land safely. Wow, okay, I... Um... I had to stop recording after I read that. It was so emotional. I mean, the trauma that they all went through in that short amount of time. And so it was very close to the end. There's only one chapter after that at the end of Acts. And then um, I did a little research what chronologically came next. 
after Acts. And in the timing, it is Timothy, 1 Timothy. And I am reading the first chapter of Timothy. And I'm reading where Paul is urging young Timothy to press on. But press on as a leader in good conscience, as a leader with a pure heart and sincere faith. That's verse 5 of the first chapter. And he talks about in keeping with prophecies once made about Timothy, he's recalling him to fight the battle well. So he charges Timothy to be renewed. He says, Timothy, my son, this is verse 18 of chapter one, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith and good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. I'm thinking Paul is not throwing that analogy around lightly. I think he knows very well that a reader and that Timothy knew the experiences that he had aboard the ship to Italy. As we were able to read it and think about it, so would Timothy. And so what can we glean from the story? of the shipwreck. What was going on there? And how could it relate to our faith? If I were able to just pare down where things go wrong and where Paul often in Acts and moving on to the letters to the churches, I see him talking about the things that interfere with faith. And those things are our flesh. Those things are false teachings fear, and our finances. He talks about the love of money. And I think what we'll see when we go back through the shipwreck is how those things play out for the crew. I see at first that they make slow headway for many days and they're moving along with difficulty. And when this difficulty is happening, and they're losing time. They don't stop and ask, am I going in the right direction? Is this what I need to be doing? Paul did. Paul asked the Lord and the Lord showed him. He said, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous. How could he see? Was this an image in his mind? Um, was the Holy Spirit just giving him an awareness in some way? But he knew it was going to be disastrous. But the centurion, instead of listening, 
He didn't follow Paul's advice. He followed the advice of man. He followed flesh. He kept going. He followed the owner of the ship. That's someone with a financial interest in pushing and driving forward. But Paul was not being run and driven. He was being a man that was listening to the Holy Spirit and was letting his faith be in control. See, fear clouds our vision, but faith shows us the next step. And that's not my quote, by the way. I've read that before. Fear clouds our vision, but faith shows us the next step. These men were afraid, but Paul was not. But, you know, they couldn't winter there. They decided to move on. They were hoping to reach the next place. They were moving forward on this hope, hoping that what they thought was truth would work out. And that is what I think of about false teachings, where it's not based on sound doctrine. It's based on a hope. Maybe that one feels better. It feels more inclusive. It feels easier to deal with. But false hope will make you run aground. And when a gentle wind began to move and blow, they saw their opportunity. All it took was a slight blow of the wind for them to believe that was the way to do it. That was the way to go. It was their green light, if you will, to follow their flesh and to not heed the warning that Paul had given them. So they weighed anchor and they sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force came. Oh, I believe the enemy often tempts us with a gentle wind. And then we catch ourselves in a hurricane. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So they had to give way and just be driven along. Hmm. And their lifeboat, their way out, couldn't be left in the water for a quick escape. They had to bring it aboard. And then they had to pass ropes under the ship to keep it together. They had to keep it together. They were losing it. They were afraid that they would run aground on the sandbars. And so they lowered their anchors and let the ship be driven along. They're not driven by God's word. They're not driven by godliness. They're not driven by a good conscience. They are driven by fear. They are driven by false teaching. They are driven by their finances. And they are driven by the flesh. And they took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they had to throw the cargo overboard. 
These were the things that were needed to survive. These were the things that were meant to make the destination and to be useful when reaching the destination. But all of a sudden they had absolutely no value and they were tossing them overboard out of fear. I think oftentimes we throw things of value overboard. Things that are meant to get us to eternity and be useful in eternity. We just toss them out. So then they threw the tackle overboard with their own hands. I think that those words are written there for a reason for us to stop and think. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. The tackle is the stuff that is used to make the ship work. So we're barely holding the ship together. And the tackle, the things that the ropes, the hardware, the stuff that makes the sail work, the stuff that makes it go in a direction it needs to go to be steered appropriately, all of that's getting thrown overboard with their very own hands. So at this point, they're giving up the whole purpose of being on a ship. They're not really sailing. It, they have no control over it all. And so the things that the tools that might help them have any control, they're being thrown overboard. When neither sun nor star appear for many days, and the storm continues to rage, they give up all hope of being saved. They've just given up. The circumstance is too much. They don't know what to do. They've gotten rid of everything that would help them to actually sail the ship. So they go for a long time like this, and Paul, the man of faith that he is, steps up and tells them they've lost all hope because it says you gave up all hope. And he says to them, I urge you to keep up your courage. Mm. You lose hope, at least keep up your courage. Try to go forward as much as you can. And he said, because not one of you will be lost, only the ship will be destroyed. So yes, we won't have the ship, but we will all survive. And I love what he says here, my graced listeners, you must stand. He said that uh, the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. 276 people were on that ship. 275 of them were given to Paul. Their lives were given to Paul to sail with him and to help give him courage. He says, men, I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we do have to run aground on some island. Paul has given them this beautiful speech of hope and encouragement. But the sailors sensed they were approaching land. 
and they took soundings and found that the water was 150 feet deep. And then they took soundings again, and it was only 90 feet deep. So they began to fear. When I think of the word sounding, I think of how often Paul uses the term sound doctrine. It is their, their beliefs. How deep do their sound beliefs go? And I think that when the world starts having us doubt our beliefs, when they start pulling it out from under us, the depths don't go very far. We are driven aground. That's when we do have a shipwreck of the faith. And so what do they do? They take these soundings and they fear. They fear that they will be dashed against the rocks. So they drop four anchors from the stern and they pray. That is so interesting to me that they pray. These sailors who have had no hope so far, who are not believers, they pray. It says they prayed for daylight. But in the same breath, in an attempt to escape the ship, they let the lifeboat down in the sea, pretending. See, they know they're doing something wrong because they pretend they're going to lower some anchors off that bow end. But it's really the lifeboat they're lowering. They're going to get out of there before anybody else, before the soldiers see them. They're going to get out of there before Paul sees them because this man of God has told them that they will all live, but they have to stick with the boat, that they have to run aground. He has told them, we have to run aground, and they are, they're bailing out. But Paul said to the centurions, he said, whoa, unless these men stay with the ship, you can't be saved. Like, God's not giving me half of you guys. God's giving me all of you. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat, and then they let it float away. They let the lifeboat float away. And Paul looks at the soldiers, he looks at the sailors, and he says to them, eat. You haven't been eating. You've been living in constant suspense, and you've gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Oh, this is the flesh. Have you ever had an issue, something just so big staring at you and you stare at it and you can't think of anything else? You're living in suspense. But in that suspense, you don't go to the word of God for nourishment. You don't go to your savior for nourishment, for hope and for the gospel to renew you. But look, Paul does. And I don't think the soldiers have a clue. I think some of the men may understand because Jesus was, you know, at some times was called a cannibal um, because he said, you know, eat my flesh, drink my blood. But what he was talking about was his laying down his life for us. 
his sinless self for us and how we have to take action and we have to accept it and we have to be willing to consume Christ to be within us to help guide us and so Paul says stop and take nourishment I urge you to take some food you need it to survive you've been living in suspense guys I urge you take in the manna take in fresh bread daily take in the word I'm talking about the word being the bread of life take it in I urge you to take some food you need it to survive not one of you will lose a single hair from your head so he says this and he takes some bread and he gave thanks to God for it in front of them all then he broke it and he began to eat it if this sounds familiar to you maybe you've heard Luke chapter 22 verse 19 this is Jesus at the Last Supper and he took bread gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying this is my body given for you do this in remembrance of me Paul broke bread gave thanks to God in front of them and they all began to eat why because they were all encouraged. The example that Paul gave them and his breaking of bread and him thanking God for each of them and for Jesus, the bread of life, it encouraged them. And so they ate. And when they had eaten as much as they wanted, they threw the grain into the sea. When daylight came, they didn't recognize the land, but they saw a sandy beach and they decided to run the ship aground if they could. So they're deciding where they're going to go. They know they need to go aground and they say, look at that sandy beach. That's where we're going to go. We're not going to get hit into rocks. We don't want to do that. So they cut loose their anchors. They left them in the sea. And they're trying to, they hoist the foresail to the wind and they make for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast, would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. So they're out from the beach. They ran aground, but they ran, they ran aground out into the water. And I believe that this was a test. This was a test for the centurion because the soldiers said, we're going to kill everybody now because if they get away, if they escape, then we'll be in trouble. We can't let the prisoners escape. And so if they start swimming, they're going to get away from us. But the centurion who wanted to spare Paul's life said no. He ordered that anyone that could swim jump overboard. He was okay if they lost them. The rest were to get there on planks or on pieces of the ship. In that way, everyone would reach land safely.
You guys, I can't stop thinking that Paul was shipwrecked for Jesus. Like he was shipwrecked. He went through this for Jesus. He wasn't shipwrecked because his faith gave it gave up. He wasn't shipwrecked in the faith, you know? He was shipwrecked for Jesus, but he still had to go through the shipwrecking. He still had to go through the devastation. He still had to go through the violent battering that they, they experienced. Okay, he still had to go through and watch others around him faithlessly try to bail out of everything because of their fear, because of false beliefs, false teaching, because of their flesh, because of financial motives. He made it. Each of them made it. Not one life was lost. But he warns us in 1 Timothy. He says, hold on to faith and a good conscience because some have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. So let's think about the faith and the good conscience. When I was having my dream about teaching the shipwreck of the faith, the lesson that I could only teach was one of joy, J-O-Y. It's something that my kids, my son likes to talk about. Um, if he's upset, he'll say, okay, I want joy. And I know that that means Jesus, others, yourself. So I think I'm getting something out of order, mom. So Jesus first, and then others, and then myself. So that's the lesson that I ended up teaching. And I woke up thinking, Lord, how does joy, Jesus, other, yourself, have anything to do with this shipwreck? And I open the mail, and I get a Reflections newsletter from the C.S. Lewis Institute, and it's on Christian and non-Christian morality. See, we're talking about the good conscience. We're talking about the morals that we have to listen to that guide us. And they are different for a Christian and a non-Christian. So let me read this to you. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis observes that the word morality raises in many people's minds, quote, something that interferes, something that stops you from having a good time, end quote. Lewis argues, however, that, end quote, in reality, moral rules are directions for running the human machine. Every moral rule is there to prevent a breakdown or a strain or a friction in the running of that machine, end quote. He observes further, quote, there are two ways in which the human machine goes wrong. One is when human individuals drift apart from one another or else they collide with one another and do one another damage by cheating or bullying. The other is when things go wrong inside the individual, when the different parts of him, his different faculties and desires and so on, either drift apart or interfere with one another. You can get the idea plain. If you think of us as a fleet of ships sailing in formation, the voyage will be a success only in the first place 
if the ships do not collide and get in one another's way. And secondly, if each ship is seaworthy and has her engines in good order. As a matter of fact, you cannot have either of these two things without the other. If the ships keep on having collisions, they will not remain seaworthy for very long. On the other hand, if their steering gears are out of order, they will not be able to avoid collisions. Or if you like, think of humanity as a band playing a tune. To get a good result, you need two things. Each player's individual instrument must be in tune and also each must come in at the right moment so as to combine with all the others. But there is one thing we have not yet taken into account. We have not asked where the fleet is trying to get to or what piece of music the band is trying to play. The instruments might be all in tune and might all come in at the right moment, but even so, the performance would not be a success if they had been engaged to provide dance music and actually played nothing but dead marches. And however well the fleet sailed, its voyage would be a failure if it were meant to reach New York and actually arrived in Calcutta. Morality, then, seems to be concerned with three things. Firstly, with fair play and harmony between individuals. Secondly, with what we might be called tidying up or harmonizing the things inside each individual. Thirdly, with the general purpose of human life as a whole, what man was made for. Thirdly is what course the whole fleet ought to be on, what tune the conductor of the band wants to play. In the final paragraph of the chapter, this excerpt was taken from Lewis states, it seems then that if we are to think about morality, we must think of all three departments, relations between man and man, things inside each man, and relations between man and the power that made him. We can all cooperate in the first one with each other. Disagreements begin with the second and become serious with the third. It is in dealing with the third that the main differences between Christian and non-Christian morality come out. Who's the captain of the ship? That's what C.S. Lewis is saying. Our morality includes other people, ourselves and Jesus. And <laughs> the Lord just said to me, that's it. You need to know who is leading your ship, and that needs to be priority number one. And what C.S. Lewis says here is when we get these things out of order, and when we don't know who's manning our ship or who is conducting our music, then we are off. So it needs to be Jesus. He needs to be number one. And then others. Whose lives are you graced with? Who is Jesus giving you to interact with and to encourage and to support, to teach? to love, to guide, to be patient with, like Paul was with the sailors. He was given those sailors. And he was to lead them in hope and faith. So Jesus, and then others, and yourself. Lewis says what it might be called tidying up or harmonizing the things inside each individual. Knowing what motivates you 
knowing, is it fear? Is it false teaching? Is it flesh? Is it financial? Or is it a good conscience? Is it godliness? Is it God's word? Is it God's spirit? Because again, fear will cloud your vision of where you're headed, but faith will show you the next step. Being shipwrecked in the faith is real. There are examples of it. It seems every week, one Christian celebrity after another is coming forward saying, I don't believe in God. I cannot hold intention that there's suffering in the world and God is supposed to be good. Most recently, Hawk Nelson, the leader of that band, he came out and said, I don't believe in God. And all his life, he couldn't come to terms with this feeling inside of him that there was a disconnect between what he said and what he did. And I believe that it takes not thinking with our flesh that, oh, this doesn't feel right, but going to the Lord and asking Holy Spirit to guide us and to give us a renewed sense. And the Bible says to guard our hearts because out of it will flow the springs of life. And Jesus says that sin weighs the heart down. It makes that faith heavy and, and too hard to hold on to. But the Holy Spirit wants to be our guide. He wants to be the one reminding us of the depth of our faith. He wants to be the one reminding us of the depth of the grace that's given to us regardless of what we do. And the grace that says we are all mean humans. There's not a level of meanness one over the other. We're all mean and rude. We're all evil. But the Holy Spirit reminds us that Jesus died on the cross for us. His body was given for us just as the bread is given to nourish us and to sustain us in a difficult journey. I hope that I haven't mixed too many metaphors with you all. I hope that you are understanding to not be driven along by fear, false teaching, the flesh, finances, but to be moved along by faith and a good conscience. To think of Jesus first, then others who you have been graced to have in your life and be responsible for, and then yourself. Tidy up that inner man. Let the Lord show you what needs to be done. What tackle needs to be cleaned and cared for and not just tossed overboard? What part of you needs to be tended to? So I pray, Lord, for the listeners right now, for myself. 
I think of things that I know that you are working on, and I thank you so much that you are not finished with me yet. I thank you, Lord, that so often I get stopped in my tracks by a tune that will gently flow through my mind that says, without you, I would be nothing. Without you, I'd surely fail. Without you, I would be drifting like a ship without a sail. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, thank you. Guide us all today in whatever we do. Grace us for the actions that you want us to take. And let us know that regardless of what we do, you are the one that is in control of everything. And you are the one that would be given the glory. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. Listeners, may the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Goodbye. Hi, Caleb. Hello. Hey, can you... Um... Tell me about the rule of joy you sometimes say. Well, it's G, it's, I mean, J-O-Y. Okay. What's that mean? Jesus is first. Okay. You should always think about Jesus first. It's always good to worship Jesus and God and love him. Okay. Second O is others. You should always be thinking about others. It will make you feel better. And finally... You can think about yourself, but think about yourself last. So is it like in, if you do these things in order, you're going to feel something? You're going to feel joy. <laughs> awesome. Okay, thanks. Good morning, podcast listeners. Thank you for joining me. I hope that you are having a great day today. I am sitting outside my house watching the sun come up. I've been up for a little while. Um... The Bryce family has a new pupper. We have adopted a 10-month-old puppy, and he is all puppy. I know 10-month-old sounds old, but he is a restless, chewing, lovable puppy that wants to play constantly. And he also wants to be around me constantly, so you may even get the privilege of hearing his name tag jingle a bit. while I record for you, and I hope that's okay, because this is life for me right now. How's life going for you? It has been so long. Um, I know I say that every time. Uh, I just, I record when uh, I'm able to. I I wish I had a consistent schedule. Um, Maybe one day in the future I can do that with kiddos and pups and life. It's just not happening right now, and there are times when I absolutely know that the Lord has a message for me to share, and I, um, I have to put everything on hold and get that out. And then there's other times where I'm just not quite so confident, and I don't want to take your time or mine if I'm just not quite certain about what to say. But today, I know that the Lord has given me something to share with you, and it's along the lines of a couple other things that I've shared, but I know that in this season of our our lives where we're all sharing 
um, just uncertainty and struggle that um, we can all be encouraged to move forward and to move forward gracefully and graciously. So stay tuned. Thank you.